Hello, and welcome back to the Speakeasy Security Podcast from ESET. My name is Ransom Burkett, and I'm the head of public relations here at ESET North America. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, ESET's chief security evangelist, Tony Anscombe. Hey, hello, Ransom. Hey, Tony. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Gorgeous sunny day here. Oh, wow. Yeah, up in, uh, in Northern California, right? Absolutely. Just south of San Francisco. That's right. Okay. Well, it's gorgeous here in Southern California, San Diego, not a cloud in the sky. And I think today will be the warmest day of the week. So uh, I'll try to take some advantage of that this afternoon. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, the weekend was good. We had that long weekend. However, there was a living right by the coast means, of course, everybody heads to the coast and it gets quite crowded. Wow. I'm sure you probably have seen your fill of uh, people coming over to to the bay and enjoying that view. And I'm sure you probably want your beach back, right? Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, same here. I didn't do any of that, but uh, certainly enjoyed the time outdoors and, and the time away from the office. But hey, listen, we've got a great show for everyone this week, and I'm actually excited because we're, we're discussing a topic that I think everybody can relate to, and it's something uh, that, that I personally am, am glad that we're covering, and it's a subject that I know you have a great deal of experience with yourself, and that's data privacy. Yeah, I mean, it's a super interesting topic, um, both for, from a perspective of a security person, but also as a consumer. Yeah, true. Exactly. We're, we're, all, we're all bits of data nowadays, you know, to marketing engines and and others around the world. So um, it's a topic that affects every single person on the planet. You know, whether you're thinking about privacy in the personal context or in business, we can't dismiss it as a defining component of the information age. Um, just recent, in recent years, you know, we've seen measures taken by governments to strengthen data protection and privacy laws, which actually begs the question, why do we need privacy legislation and what was going wrong for them to, to need this, you know? Well, the problem is, is, is our data has value. And when something has value and companies can work out how to make money from that data, then they will do, uh, as you'd expect. If you own a business or, or you think you can make money in a certain way, you're, you're going to go after that. So having your customer data, whether that's abu not abusing it, but using it to market to them or even sharing it with others so they can market to them. And the problem is, is... You know, big business uh, started to realize that actually the more and more data, because we're in this digital age, that they can collect and they can potentially merge with other data sets as well. The more they learn about somebody, the more value that data starts to, to have. And I don't know whether you ever saw, watched the program, The Greatest Hack, on, uh, oh, yeah. on, on that streaming channel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And we'll come back to the subject of what the greatest hack in a moment. But if you remember, there was one specific term during that show. Mm, data is more valuable than gold. True. Yeah, I do remember um, that. Now, whether that's true, I'm not too sure. But, um, <laughs> I think I'd trust gold more than data as an investment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if we think about that, uh, without regulation, um, businesses that could make money from the data, then... You either ask industry to self-regulate, which is highly unlikely if there's that amount of money at stake, or you regulate, legislate in some way to actually make sure that your citizens of, of your country are being protected in the right way. Uh, and that's why we need privacy legislation. I mean, Ranson, have you ever downloaded an app on, onto your phone and do you read the permissions and 
can you can we be trusted to make decisions without some form of legislation or somebody regulating that for us? You're absolutely right. You know, I mean, I think nine out of ten people, maybe ten out of ten, just go ahead and click accept. Right? Yeah. It's kind of a a hope that they've gotten the privacy thing right. Right? Most people just click accept, and hey, I'm off and running and using my app. And then when somebody, you know, when somebody does complain afterwards of, well, I didn't think you were going to use my data for that, and a company turns around and says, well, it was in my privacy policy. It's on page 72. Well, you mean you didn't yeah. get that far? <laughs> yeah. um, and, it's, and, and when you do get to page 72, it's in such legal speak that you actually needed the law degree to decipher what it said. I give credit where credit's due. Most companies have trimmed their privacy policies and tried to make them easier to read. But you know, without regulation, without the legislation, and without this momentum behind privacy, I think we still would be into those super long privacy statements. You bring up a good point, and I think it's really timely that we're we're talking about this because um, at least most people, I think, have heard of the General Data Protection Regulation, which is also known as GDPR. And GDPR actually just had its two-year anniversary this past Monday. Um, and I know you've done a lot of work and spoken at conference at length about this topic. Um, and GDPR has actually changed the world in relation to privacy. But I have to ask you, has, has it actually worked? That's a great question on whether it's worked. But maybe we should step back one. Uh, hopefully, or do all the listeners know what GDPR stands for? Yeah, um, let's, let's take so a poll. The General Data Protection Regulation, which is actually a Euro the European privacy legislation. So this encompasses all the European countries. Uh, and I say including the UK, by the way, because even though the UK has pulled away, actually every country has its own version of GDPR. They just fall under the banner of, of the European Union's bigger picture. So GDPR means that companies basically need to ask for consent. So when they're asking you for your data, they've got to put a, a box on the screen that says, do you consent to this? Yeah, And make you aware that your information is being collected. On the other side of that, it means from the, company, from the company's standpoint, they need to protect your data. Now, GDPR goes into this quite specifically. So you, you have to hold the data in an encrypted form. You have to uh, provide the right security mechanisms around accessing the data. So companies have this liability to cor correctly protect the data they're collecting. They can only collect it because they need it, and they can only keep hold of it while they need it. So you can't just keep keep collecting and keep collecting. Uh, and as a consumer, you're aware that they you know, of what they've collected because you've consented, and you can go back and ask them to delete it. And you can ask to see what they're, they're holding on you. So those are kind of the core principles. And if as a company, you don't adhere to this, you could be hit with a very nasty big fine. Really? Okay. Um, are there any, any examples of that or...? Well, if we go prior to GDPR and give, give an example of a, a fine, so the, you remember the Cambridge Analytica scandal, which, of course, was in the great greatest hack. Mm -hmm. Facebook got fined, I think it was £500,000 by the Information Commissioner's Office in the UK for that particular scale, you know, that data breach. Uh, if we relate that to, for example, British Airways, uh, who had... A significant breach on their website where there was a script redirect where data was being gathered 
uh, they got fined, I think it was £180 million. Pounds. So pre-GDPR, post-GDPR, post-GDPR. <laughs> or during GDPR. So you can see the huge difference there of what GDPR's made. And I'm sure that, that difference is focusing many businesses. So Tony, that actually validates the point of how things were before GDPR and where they are now. Absolutely. Uh, but it also opens up not just about companies being fined and for, for what they do wrong or data breaches. It's also about consumers being more engaged. So as consumers, we need to understand that our data has value and that we're trading our data. So when you go and download that next app that you want to sit there and use on, on a Friday night, if the permissions pop up and say, well, we're going to use your data and we're going to sell your data and what they're collecting is acceptable to you, you need to understand that's the value of the data. You're, you know, you're trading your data to get the use of that free service. Wow, that's powerful. I hope people understand that. It's really interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the two of us are based in California. So it's it's an interesting thing to bring up that actually there's legislation here as well now. Yeah, what's, so GDPR, what's the is, yeah GDPR is not on its own. Uh, so if you think about the world after GDPR, so people say, Did, has GDPR worked? Well, I don't know because you don't know what the world would have been like without GDPR. So that's a difficult judgment. Our company's more focused, well, because of the big fines, definitely. But has the world become more focused? Yes. So the world, it, there's over 100 different countries with privacy legislation now. And many of those countries have followed the GDPR model, while the legislation may differ in certain ways. So GDPR applies to people in the EU, um, CCPA, which is the California privacy legislation, applies to Californian uh, citizens, residents, so you and I, so California residents. Uh, so different privacy legislation acts in different ways. But, they, but a lot of them have taken those core concepts. And in fact, CCPA has taken personal information one step further. Uh, under GDPR, it's about personal information about you. Uh, CCPA talks about household data. So things that could be related to your household that could then be related to you. So it's not necessarily just personal information. Wow. Wow. And that's only applicable for California, not U.S. as a region, right? So that's a specific California legislation. Yeah. Yes. And the oddity that every state has its own legislation in that way. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Were there any other effects of GDPR? Um in, in, in the U.S. or Canada that you can speak to? Well, one thing that everybody needs to be aware of as well is that actually companies wanting to transact with people in the European Union need to comply with GDPR as well. So if you're a business here in the U.S. and you want to have visitors coming to your website and doing something, then you've got to comply too. Oh, uh, you've got to offer them the specific consents, etc., because it covers people coming from within the European boundaries uh, when they're connecting. It's not about where you're located as a business. It's about where they are as the consumer. Yeah, that's actually important. Wow. Yeah. However, that also confuses things uh, because, and you may have read a couple of months back, well, about a month ago, Ransom, I wrote a blog about, and I put down in there a very interesting scenario of, well, what happens if, 
you have you know somebody from a South American country that has their own privacy legislation who resides in California, then travels to Europe and makes a transaction in New Zealand, whose privacy legislation is in play? And it's a really complex, and I keep asking different people, different lawyers. I've even asked uh, some of the EU's lawyers that drafted some of the legislation, uh, well, who, you know, how does that work? And they, everybody scratches their head and go, you know, kind of looks at you dumbfounded and goes, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. It is a good question, you know, and it, it makes perfect sense to ask and pose it. I do remember your blog because that, um, that, that spoke to me because there was a device uh, that, I, that I purchased and, yeah, it didn't perform as needed when I came back to the state. So as you said, who, how, do I, how do I follow up? What are my rights? Where am I? What, what am I under, if you will, that, that would afford me some level of protection? You know, God forbid if the company that I purchased it from was, you know, uh, the focus of a, of a targeted breach or an attack. But the good, thing, the good thing is, is GDPR has focused the world on needing privacy legislation. So has GDPR worked? Yes, because now you've got this movement around the world to have privacy legislation. Uh, to protect the consumer. Now, whether the, the legislation in some areas goes far enough or whether maybe in some places it goes further, you know, we, we can have – that's definitely a beer discussion. In fact, that's a good point, yeah. Ransom. Did you bring your yeah. beer this week? You know, I promised I was going to bring my beer. I do, and I have it right here. How about you? I, I do have my beer in hand. Okay. Yeah, well, here, so- I'm going to go ahead and – let me go ahead and offer up a toast. This is our third episode here, and let's take a moment to give, give each other a cheers. <laughs> yeah, cheers. There you go. There you go, sir. And uh, I need to ask you, which beer is it that you're drinking? Though? So I am drinking a California staple. I'm drinking Lagunitas Little Something Something. It's a uh, it's a great tasting beer and certainly a, a staple in my household and you can catch it in my fridge all summer. How about you? Well, I'm drinking something slightly darker and slightly mm-hmm. heavier, an old peculiar. Old peculiar? Yes. <laughs> what is that? From a very specific brewery in the UK. You need to look that one up. It's uh, it's an acquired taste. It's an acquired taste. <laughs> Note to self, our next UK trip, we're going to go ahead and find a a pub that has old peculiar. Okay. I recommend only drinking one. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure that name comes from somewhere too. We'll have to discover that. Or well, maybe it's because you become old and peculiar afterwards. <laughs> I'm not sure. Noted. All right. Well, a little something, something and old peculiar right here on the cyber speakeasy, uh, um, speakeasy security podcast. Um, yeah, thanks. And definitely needed that toast, man. But you, you brought up something just in your last piece that, that I kind of wanted to maybe touch on in that, you know, over as long as there has been history and people being able to look back on things, most people tend to look back on things and go, well, we, we, we got that wrong in the first version, right? V1.0 was eh, kind of a test case, if you will, prototype. But whether it's, you know, with health tech or even legislation, we always seem to look back to try to improve or enhance how things are done. Now, do you think that we'll look back on the early versions of GDPR and CCPA or any other privacy regulation in, say, five to 10 years? And will we be saying, wow, we got that wrong? Or will we be glad to say that we, we, we're glad we did that when we did? Well, actually, GDPR was not, not V1. Really? Um, GDPR mm-hmm. was kind of V2. In fact, probably even maybe later than V2. So 
uh, I'm going to use the U as a as a Brit. Uh, I'm going to use the UK as my example here. Uh, so the UK had the Data Protection Act, which was passed in the 90s. So actually, G GDPR was a refresh. It was an update. So if you think about how things have changed from the early 90s uh, into you know 2018 when it took uh, GDPR came into effect, there's a huge difference between these two. You know how our data is collected and the devices we now carry and the way we share things. So it was a refresh. Uh, and I'd or, and I'd expect GDPR to evolve. I already know there are. I think there are some changes being proposed in the European Union now. Really, for a different ver an, an enhanced version of GDPR. Yes, well, not necessarily an enhanced version, but privacy. Yeah, it will it will adapt. adapt it will it will evolve over time. Because in a in that type of scenario, you've got the complexity of then getting all. I think it's 27 member states to agree on, on changes. So it's never going to be quick to evolve with those changes because there'll always be somebody that objects or somebody wants something slightly more stringent. For example, German uh, Germans typically, culturally, don't give up their email address very simply. I can tell you now, the UK are very similar to Americans and here's my email address, just have it. You know, it's, so I, th I think different levels of privacy are, are within those cultures. Right, right. It, it totally is. Sign up for this newsletter um, to register for this site, to check out for this site. Give me your email address, right? Yeah. And I know you have some points on those we probably talk about in a different show. But as we're talking about, you know, the, the enhanced version of GDPR, or I'm sorry, the, the modified version that, that keeps up with the time and rules and tech and regulations, um, I have to ask about the companies. You know, are companies taking privacy and consent more seriously? And if they are, then what's their motivation? Well, the motivation is the fines. So if you don't take it seriously, the regulator is going to come after you. Now, that doesn't mean if, if you're a small business that the regulator is going to come after you in the same way here, come after a big, big company. And remember, the difference between a, re a regulator and a lawyer is a regulator, while they might want to make a, a, an issue with a big company, so they use somebody to kind of wield the big stick, to make sure everybody else falls into line. With smaller companies, they want to make sure the companies are being responsible. So with it, as, long as, the, as long as as a company, you can show that your intent was correct, that you were doing the right things, that you've done risk assessments and that you've implemented security in the right way and that you were doing everything you could, the regulator is going to be on your side. He's going to want you to succeed. Whereas let's take the California law that was came into effect this year here, Unfortunately, that gives the right for class, yeah, the class action lawsuit. Oh, great. Uh, and once you put that, put everything in the hands of a lawyer who's going to get himself a new house and a new swimming pool at the end of it, yeah, it's somewhat the motivation is somewhere different. But it, so now I think GDPR has made businesses refocus. I, I think you know companies now one know where their data is, they know how it's protected, they know who has access, they know why they're collecting it, and they know whether they should still be holding on to it. And I think every company, you know, most companies are, are adhering to that. You, you brought up something great, which I love, which is that the companies are motivated to make sure that they do the things in the right way or face that sort of fine. And there have been some incredibly spectacular data breaches over the years. Are there, are there less data breaches now that we have privacy regulation? Uh, I'll just get my crystal ball out here and look at my crystal ball because that's like asking, well, how many data breaches would there have been if you didn't have le legislation? Right. And so that's an impossible question to actually answer. 
right, right. Um, does it mean that companies are more focused? Yes, but would would the world have been worse? Yes, you wouldn't for for a start without GDPR, you wouldn't have had all this other global legislation. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think there are things that have progressed. That Cambridge Analytica was so widely publicised about the issues and the way they collected data and what they did with the data to the shock and awe that it even ended up in a in that hour-long, hour-and-a-half-long programme uh, on that streaming service. I think that has focused business, businesses on making sure that I don't want to be the person that's subject to the next programme. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, you're right. And, God, what a... What an eye-opening documentary or, or, or program that was, um, which in my mind, it, it got me right away to check on my settings, my privacy, my, my security of what was out there. And I'm not just speaking to social, but you know, what, what information do companies have out there on me? So again, I work for ESET and certainly we have a heightened sense of awareness for our own personal security and, and data protection. But do you think the average individual is engaging in the protection of their own personal data now that there is legislation? Well, that is a great question. And I think that's the question that I would pose around any privacy legislation. So you're bringing the legislation and does it make people more com uh, complacent? Sure. So do you then sit back and go, well, it's all right, there's this legislation. I don't, you know, I don't need to worry. But actually, I think you do still need to worry. You need to understand the value of your own data and you need to be conscious that when a website or a service asks you for data of why they're collecting it, is it in context? Where, what do you expect them to do with that data? What might they be doing with that data? Where's it going? Where's it being stored? Who's it being shared with? These are questions we should all ask on a frequent basis. However, I feel that if you watch people's behaviours, I don't know whether people's behaviour has changed for privacy legislation. But we all see the dis extra disclosures on websites and the consent boxes on websites. Uh, but do you do you read them? I mean, or has that have those disclosures become like the privacy policy of old? Yeah, you're right. I mean, some people are. If this is what it takes for me to access the service, they blindly click accept. You know, and um, it would be really interesting to find out what the average um, would be in that sense for for a given market or a given age group, because. I really don't know, and I'd love to find out if there was some data that could be shared um, around how people are, are are looking to hopefully improve their their posture as it relates to their own personal privacy. Yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, lots of people like to share as well. Social media networks, etc., have become have become very widely used. However, yeah, I think there is a satisfying thing in there as well of. The next generation may, yeah, may well grow up to be a little bit more private than we were. We were the experiment, maybe. Uh, the first generation through the internet, maybe the second generation through the internet will be a little bit more switched on because the difference is, is they're being taught how to be secure in the education system. Yeah, Cybersecurity is typically taught, and hopefully they're, they're learning something from that. They learn from our mistakes. Yeah, they do, yeah. It's just so interesting how quick a, a young person can pick up the tech and just know how to do all of it, right? Whether it's, you know, a device, an app, um, computing systems and OSs, it's, it's kind of intrinsic. But as you said, I mean, maybe there's something that's lacking and hopefully it will be um, a required piece, which is people should be able to determine how to research 
their level of exposure as it relates to privacy. Um, you got any tips for anybody out there that could be listening that they could follow in order to at least determine their level of exposure? Your level of exposure is a, is a difficult one to judge because uh, the problem is even if I turn around and said I, I go off grid today, how do I know how much data was already out there? Could I control what future data is out there? Yes, because I can make conscious decisions. Could I go back and start cleaning up all the other data and start asking for deletions and all those sorts of things? Yes, but I, you'd need a month to sit in a room with a, yeah. with a laptop and start drafting all those emails and all those different things to actually start getting people to delete your data or at least learning what they're holding on you. So I think it's I think it's a tough order. The recommendation has to be that whenever something asks you for your data, make a conscious decision. Service X is in my is in one hand and my data is in the other. Am I happy to give this piece of data up to get this service? And remember, the service isn't always obvious. You know, we tend to think Google is kind of free, don't we? You kind of think that, but it's not. It's a data and advertising network. So you're trading your data again to get your search results. And of course, you know, we're all, most people are happy when we use Google Maps. You're doing the same again. But of course, Google Maps is super useful or, App, or Apple's Maps or whoever's it is you use. It's a, it's a trade-off of data for the service. So that's the one thing I'd say is, is make sure that you understand what that trade-off is and that you're happy making that trade. That's a good point. It's a really good point, Tony. So, you know, what, what would you envision? What's next for privacy? Well, what I'd, what I'd like to see is global, uh, true global privacy. My complex scenario of my Southern American living in California, transacting whilst in Europe with somebody in, in New Zealand, wouldn't it be great if, like the World Trade Organization we have, provides trade agreements across the world and standardizations, wouldn't it be great if you have some sort of base default of privacy across the entire world as well? And I think it, it would solve a lot of questions of whose regulation do I need to follow or I'm confused by all this, there's too many too many different acronyms. I think there has to be some sort of global agreement, but I'm not too sure how that happens. Well, you've shared a lot of good data points in your recent blog. I've, I've read your We Live Security blog where you talk about the anniversary of GDPR and what it has meant. And then in your corporate blog on ESET.com, you shared some insights around other countries that have, you know, rolled out their own privacy plans, such as I believe you had Japan in there and even Brazil. So there's, as you said, I think there's a growing conscious effort globally to um, hold companies accountable, allow individuals to have access to and request their data, um, and then um, ultimately be able to improve their own level of exposure and their their posture so that they are in control, you know, versus the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. And I think more and more countries will join in and and add their own privacy legislation. But it's an evolving thing as well. As I said, GDPR is already having some, some amendments, I think, proposed. So I would expect, for example, here in the US, more and more states to start implementing stricter privacy legislation. And maybe at some stage we may even see something from the federal government. Wow, well, that'd be... A be a sight to see. Well, Tony, thanks for uh, sharing your perspective and, and expertise here with everyone. Oh, my pleasure. And I'm now going to sit here and finish my beer. All right. Good man. So will I. Well, thanks again. And this is Ransom Burkett from ESAT's Speakeasy Security signing off for this week. Mm -hmm.